Hello nerds, we're trying something a little different this month with Protest and Survive. I've captured your leader, Reed Dunley, and I am holding him hostage until you rate and review this podcast on iTunes and subscribe on every platform. My name is Sophia steiner Evoy, and I'll be your host this week. In 2005, Palestinian civil society issued an official call for the boycott, divestment, and sanction of Israel, drawing inspiration from the South African anti-apartheid movement. The call laid out three demands for Israel. One, ending its occupation and colonization of all Arab lands and dismantling the wall. Two, recognizing the fundamental rights of Arab-Palestinian citizens of Israel to full equality. Three, respecting, protecting, and promoting the rights of Palestinian refugees to return to their homes and properties as stipulated in UN Resolution 194. On the 10th anniversary of the BDS movement, a group of activists with the group Adala New York took to the streets at a site important to the struggle, the Isles of Brooklyn Target. Let's, like, okay. let's get some soda yeah, stream for a workout. Nothing smells health like hydration. Healthy. Healthy. Mm-hmm. Soda stream is an Israeli company. And Palestinians are calling for a boycott of Israeli companies and institutions. All right, let's keep the politics out of the workout. We need to hydrate if we're going to work these glutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we all need to be able to hydrate. Did you know that Ramallah has a lot of rain coming down, but the access to the water from in the West Bank is all controlled by the Israelis? Cool. That means the Palestinians cool. have access to a quarter that's of the water that the Israelis do. Okay, okay, that's yeah. not good. But I no. heard SodaStream move their factories yeah. out of the settlement, okay, so that's they're not that bad. Come on, let's work it out. Yeah. Sure, they moved out of the settlement, but now SodaStream is in the Nakab area, where Palestinian Bedouins live in villages that are unrecognized by the Israeli government, and they don't have access to the water network. Oh, okay, okay. SodaStream isn't healthy, because apartheid isn't healthy. Mm. All right. That's right. Well, what movement can we do to make this right? Once the group decides to boycott SodaStream, they walk to an open area and begin to stretch in unison to the Proclaimer song 500 Miles. Except they've made a few adjustments to the lyrics. Oh yeah. When I wake up, you know I'm going to be among the many who will boycott SodaStream. of the frame is an energetic woman in full workout gear who seems to be having the time of her life. She's leading the dance and inviting the audience in to join her. And even though BDS is a highly contentious political issue with very little support in the American mainstream, it's hard to watch this video and not want to join in. It's so goofy and endearing. The lyrics are so serious, the subject matter is so intense, yet when it's put to dancing and singing, you just want to be part of whatever it is they're doing. You can see the confused onlookers caught in the flash mob, not totally sure what is going on. But the singers are so emphatic and sure of themselves that those who stumble upon it are all beaming with delight. 
it's a different kind of protest. The woman at the head of the group is Una Osado. She's an activist, artist, teacher, and burlesque performer, born and raised in New York City. And she's our guest for this episode of Protest and Survive. I identify as a person of color, as queer, as a self-loving anti-Zionist. And I feel really like proud of the, the, the lineage that I come from of people of, of Jewish diaspora and people who are internationalists and um, believe in liberation for all people. And so that's part of my identity also. And uh, my performance, both like in the streets or on the stage, um, is very from my perspective. Um, so I make like burlesque pieces about like the boycott, divestment, sanctions movement of Israel and supporting solidarity with Palestine and Palestinian liberation because burlesque to me is is about bodies and what happens to bodies. And I think that it's, we get these moments on stage or in a spotlight. And it's, to me, it's very important uh, what we're talking about, what we're sharing. And these are stories and things that I'm thinking about that are important to me that are they move my body and they move I feel very like what's happening in Palestine is being done in my name and I feel not only I feel connected to it I have like family who live in settlements I have like the U.S. like gives billions of dollars to Israel each year to continue this I feel as an artist it's essential to support the the boycott movement and in the organizing that I do and so it, it doesn't just happen like in a protest or capital A activism or anything like that. I think who I am is in, in all of everything I bring to all the art that I do. I, I made a piece recently that I was shouting out the Taylor Swift's uh, Stan who she tweeted about refusing to serve in the IDF. And so I, I think there are these like cracks in this in Zionist hegemony, like all over the place in places that we don't necessarily expect. And there are these like, really beautiful moments that like with my art I also want to celebrate and so um I made a piece recently about thinking about her resistance and how like it became a whole new conversation among people that maybe weren't thinking about Palestine or Israel before and using my body to tell stories that are important to me and um, fighting for liberation of all people is very important to me. The video I mentioned earlier is just one example of Una's work. She started performing at a very young age after being discovered in a Chinese restaurant while eating with her family. I grew up in the East Village, West Village. Like, art was kind of just everywhere. Um, This was in the 80s. So, like, New York was a different New York than it is now. Just, like, people were making art for survival. And, like, also, like, you know, the, the government was, like, stripping or had been for a while, like, stripping resources from communities. And AIDS epidemic was, like, or it was beginning when I was, like, early 80s, but I was, when I was, like, growing up, it was in, like, full swing. And so all the things that were happening in New York were happening very kind of, like, intensely in, in a lot of different ways. So I feel like just art was just always everywhere. And that was just, like, a part of growing up was just, like, there's art everywhere. We make art. It's just that's what we do. It just, like, feels like all I kind of really know. Yeah. <laughs> 
But from an early age, it became clear that she didn't fit in some of the boxes of the mainstream entertainment industry. As like a kid, I was like like auditioning for things. So this is like in the 80s also, so I didn't audition for commercials or things like that. And to me, it like didn't mean anything. It was just like, okay, yeah, I'm doing this thing. I'm doing this thing here. I don't know. But my mom also tells me that I see casting directors or and like audition and she'd be like, you were the like only one who could follow directions. Like, you know, I'd be like three or four and I'd be like, sure, what do you want? Like very like down to whatever. But I wouldn't get cast for stuff. And they like would be like, I don't know why they felt like they could, but they told my mom, they were like, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm mixed. I'm, I'm Japanese and white and, um, and Jewish, and that's the white part. Um, and so I, um, th- there was like no place for mixed people then. That was, they, like I had casting directors explicitly tell my mom, like, we don't have a place for her. Like we can't cast her as white, can't cast her as Asian. So like, even though she's like, like great and like we'd love to work with her we just can't I wasn't marketable you know was there a moment that you can point to as kind of your like when you began to think politically or your political consciousness was raised (laughs) like um I think well um my parents are like like progressive radical politics and like union members and like we're instilling like feminist values in um, me and my sister. So I think like my elementary school was like a right in the heart of the West Village and it was like very we're learning like civil rights songs and music and like so there was definitely those kind of like liberal values and I went to a summer camp that like also um helped like instill more values (laughs) I went to a summer camp called Camp Kinderland in Massachusetts and um it's like a Jewish secular socialist camp and so I remember like Definitely learning about like different radical struggles around the world and learning about apartheid in South Africa and supporting the boycott divestment movement. And like that, I remember learning about it like while apartheid's ending. So Mm. like early 90s, like, oh, that's happening. Oh, my gosh, that's horrible. And like, but like I'm also like a kid. So I (laughs) like as a kid, like, but still, like, I didn't see myself as a kid. I just saw myself yeah. as a person in the world who's, like, very, like, oh, my God, the world. But so I think, like, yeah, like, thinking about other world struggles that were happening or learning about them at, um, at camp or in school and then, like, being in New York in this moment at this time. And then in high school, like, me and my friends started a social activism club at our school. And <laughs> we're, like, part of, like, a New York City movement of people doing things around particularly around police brutality. In 1999, Amadou Diallo was murdered by the cops, and there was, like, citywide walkouts, both for uh, around, like, his murder and then when the cops were let off. We're here today. Let the criminal justice system know. Let the appellate court know. And let the mayor know that if he thought that we could not come back out together... With the same kind of broad coalition, he needs to look at Foley Square. We are still together. We are clear. And so I think I was being like radicalized in like learning about what was happening both on a local level and like more largely like uh, systems of, of power and oppression. As Una's activism evolved during her college years and the status quo of the art world continued to be disappointing, 
She realized if she wanted a satisfying role, she was going to have to make it herself. Um, while I was in school, 9-11 happened, and we started going to war and went to another war as a country. So I was really involved in a lot of like student organizing, also organizing around fighting for ethnic studies at our school and um, fighting for justice in Palestine. So I was like, I think by senior year, I realized, oh, like I'm really interested in everything I'm learning <laughs> in American studies. And I'm thinking about like, who helped me form my consciousness as like a woman of color, a queer person, like a radical, like how, how have I been shaped? And so, and I was like, no one's going to give me parts. Um, and, <laughs> and I was thinking about my high school teacher and I was like thinking about all these things. And I was like, I guess I have to write a play. I guess I like have to create a part, which like, I, I really, struggle with reading and writing because I, I I'm like dyslexic or I didn't start reading uh, also till I was like 10 so it was like very late in the reading writing game and struggled with it throughout college um so I was like faced with the like um I need to use my art for activism share these ideas that I'm learning about but want to take it to my community that I actually really care about so no one's gonna do this for me I have to do it myself and like I know how to perform, but writing was so hard. <laughs> so yeah, but I did. So I, I interviewed all these people in my life that were really important, and and then I made a play um, using their stories and my stories, and they weaved it together and like performed it for uh, my senior thesis, and then for like um, a lot of years afterwards. So it was my first first time writing a play titled "Keep It Moving," and that's a, a phrase my friend Sandy would just like tell me and like it's like a yeah mantra that I live by still of like yep you like things are hard or things are great or like you do the work and you just like you gotta keep moving and um so did you did you start doing burlesque in college or did that come after hmm. I well I was I used to say oh I started doing burlesque in like 2007 but actually I do remember that in college I did like some I guess it was it was performance art it was burlesque it was like some performances where I just like uh stripped down naked and like introduced the band or like um <laughs> like there was a queer convocation where me and my friends did a piece of like about like queerness and we just like got naked and it was like in front of all of our professors <laughs> I remember having class like then later that day and just like great performance. Thank you, thank you. Um, so I, I was like playing with like what are clothes and what are like how can we express ourselves and tell a story with with or without clothes. And and then in two thousand seven I started to like took a name on and take it more do it more seriously. Which yeah. is like the opposite of it's not serious. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that brings up a better question which is like kind of what is burlesque kind mm. of traditionally but also like how do you define it like mm. what does it mean to you totally burlesque the like word is a literary term and it's like found in like banish and italian like in like the 16th or 17th century like it's like an old term and so and it's like to mock or joke or and it's about like political commentary or societal commentary and like kind of pushing limits and questioning things um and so it takes on different art forms throughout time and so sometimes it's performative and other times it's literary and these are like traditional more traditional 
narratives of burlesque is to me burlesque is like telling a story with your full body and getting to yeah comment on society and how it treats bodies and um, I think it's a really interesting art form because it's my body up there and so it really roots me in like telling stories I find for the pieces I create it's like something that's speaking to me and my body in that in that moment or as a way of like envisioning other other experiences um so my name is exotic other that's like my femme uh, burlesque character or persona um and my masculine burlesque character is named norms um and so exotic other ex- occupies all that other space and norms is right in the center and <laughs> so exotic other it's like not a name that like really rolls off the tongue or <laughs> feels very sexy which I think when I was like choosing my name initially I was kind of recently out of college I was really thinking about like all these like concepts you know thinking about orientalism and like all this like um stuff and like the ways that I felt like people like treat me or my body and like I wanted a name that was like a little uncomfortable to say or something like and so exotic other like gets to play with um, expectations of that like an audience might have and then like fuck with it and be like you thought this well actually it's this and um whereas norms he's like the butt end of a joke and so he thinks he has power and he thinks he's in control and like you kind of see how um pathetic like patriarchy and masculinity are just like fragile um i really like to like think about all the like shit that's like dumped on our bodies on a daily basis and like things that I like my body like has to hold um, the way like other people might treat it or other ways I've internalized and then treat my body. Burlesque and drag are like these places where I get to be like, it's not actually my baggage. Like this is some other shit this world's put on me and like I I can like strip it off and like let it go and like be like it's all of ours like (laughs) (laughs) systems of oppression are like not ours as individuals and it becomes such a, a like a moment of liberation where I can be like it's not mine this is what I experience all the time and I don't want it and and you see me and you see that like I actually dream of like this other thing this is how I want to experience my body and how I want to like be celebrated or and I've found that like through burlesque like a lot about myself and like what I think sexy is even And I think growing up, like, I thought, like, sexy was only this one particular thing. And that, like, through burlesque, I've been able to find, like, sexy for me is, like, is political, is awkward, is funny, is, like, is all these things that is really, like, I feel like specific for me and specific for each person. Um, And so that's been really fun to get to find. I mean, one of the, the cool things about burlesque is, like, seldom do you perform like just by yourself right Mm -hmm. and so you organize these shows right yeah 
have a burlesque company with it's called brass which stands for brown radical ass burlesque and i have it with my sister whose name is michi ilono sato or sister selva or lil willie and we have a third partner it's don crandall aka miss aurora boob realis aka don dick realis we all got lots of names and <laughs> um we're like a the core and we work with like a, this incredible network of amazing queer people of color radical performers um from all over and are so fortunate to run this monthly show we're about to have our two-year anniversary oh my gosh <laughs> it's so it's not easy running a monthly thing we don't make money from it like we just cover our cost if if people show up like we, we're not funded we're like you know like we do this because we love our community we love each other we want to celebrate each other and so like you know we all work like a million other jobs in order to be able to make our art and um so we do this monthly show um and it's called compost bin and it's a radical ass cabaret to deal with the world um so we use our art to as offerings for the compost bin and throw everything in there um so we're, we're throwing the beautiful things the shit we're throwing like all the things that happen that are happening that have been happening and like collectively take an evening to just like yeah dang like and it's so intense like we started after trump came into office and it has felt like a really necessary space to like um endure what's happening and just to be like each month to be like wow this has happened and and it's not it's not just Trump, obviously, it's like the wave of fascism that is um, has been brewing and is is sweeping the world. Uh, so we do a cabaret show, and we have like burlesque performers, we have drag performers, we have comedians, musicians, uh, poets, like all different. Each month, it's a different show. So we do a show, and then we have a dance party afterward to like just be like we're we're together. Like let's um, take this moment to be together, and uh, so. When I first met Una, I didn't know any of this about her. In college, I had been a student activist with a group called Jewish Voice for Peace. And when I graduated two years ago, I felt burnt out, or at least ready to try something new. I went to a few JVP NYC meetings and actions, and a few meetings of other groups, but didn't feel committed to anything. That was until a JVP New York City chapter meeting in November 2018 when her fellow organizers, Morgan Vasquez and Jay Saper, presented on an upcoming action they were planning called the People's Menorah. I was completely convinced by them. I thought that whatever they were doing, I wanted to be there. And not only was that good energy, it was good organizing. I had been in environments in the past that were tense and full of infighting. And what these three presented was an action that not only demanded a better world, but set out a vision for what that world could look like, which I think might be the point of making artists central to our movements. My entry point was through uh, the Artist Council of JVP. So I got to meet other amazing artists. And then 
because we live in New York, there's an amazing chapter here. It's a national organization that also has um, chapters in lots of cities around the country. I think there's like 60 chapters or something. So I, I have gotten to be part of the local organizing that's happening here. And uh, our chapter has like a real commitment to organizing, like using art to organize and see as the like, not just like tacking it on or anything like that. Like, um, and I think a lot of the chapters do in JVP in general, if it, there's a, a big commitment to really the importance of art. And just this past December, we did this really incredible action, action, event, celebration, protest, all of it, performance on the the new ninth day of Hanukkah. There was uh, like 450 people on a Monday night in Midtown New York celebrating the People's Menorah, a menorah that we created ourselves. And by ourselves, I mean the people. <laughs> uh, uh, and we are celebrating and honoring the different different movements that are happening for justice in this moment. Indigenous people's movements, Black Lives Matter, um, immigrant rights, queer liberation, Palestine liberation, disability justice, environmental justice, gender body reproductive rights and justice. And celebrating celebrating the, these movements and, and the way that they light our way and also protesting and bringing light to what the ADL, which is the Anti-Defamation League, what its current practice right now where it takes law enforcement and border patrol and people from the U.S., brings them to Israel to train with their military, learn the worst practices of how to oppress and, and harm people, and then they take it back to the U.S. and and uh, carry out those kind of um, practices. And so we're saying that the ADL, which um, says it's a civil rights organization, that it really it needs to end these deadly exchange programs and it needs to it needs, needs to stop them. They're they're just hurting our communities and they're and so we started planning this this action um, from people's vision of um, wanting to to bring art into the streets, into the movement. Una's use of joy in her work is incredibly intentional. She even recently wrote a chapter about it in Adrienne Marie Brown's new book, Pleasure Activism. And uh, mine and my sister's chapter is about our performance and burlesque work and, and thinking about like the importance of joy in what we do and why we do it and that it's not just like joy like yeah everyone just smile um but that like what we do and loving what we do and part of what is so oppressive of systems of violence and oppression in general is that like it like strips us of, of being able to like feel and be like our fullest selves that can can feel all sorts of things and not just like pain and anger and those are necessary things to feel and and something I feel like I can contribute to the movement is joy and uh, hopefully laughter and like space to feel all, the range of everything. I think joy is a really valuable tool, maybe especially in radical politics where it feels like there's so much at stake when it feels like everyone is against you. This is partially why I wanted to bring the BDS video in at the beginning, because bringing up BDS can often end conversations. It's been weaponized as this evil thing, but when we have art makers in our movement that bring joy, we are reminded why we are fighting and that we have strength in our values. Still, running a queer brown radical burlesque troupe 
may be joyful, but it's not always easy. My burlesque has always been political and like rooted in my values. It's funny, I like find this art burlesque and drag and I'm like, here I am, look, like traditional theater world, you won't accept me. And then like traditional burlesque world, which was like pretty white and um, sometimes not super radical. It, it depends where, like New York, we have a, a really amazing burlesque scene and drag scene. and within that there's many scenes but um people would be like your stuff's too political like we don't want you here <laughs> and i'd be like what no this is my like fringe space and they'd be like no it's too much so then like again like we like um i like help create a space where i'm like no this is this is what we're trying to do like burlesque the history of burlesque is political it is about co social commentary and like I mean, now it's, people are more open to, like, want to talk about politics, want to, like, see stuff that they feel like speaks to their souls. I feel like that's not always been the case at all or and isn't totally at all. So I definitely have gotten lots of backlash where people be like, ah, that's not burlesque, like, ah, or... Yeah. Um, very angry with me. I've had people walk out of my shows, like walk, uh, like um, be performing places. They walk across the stage to like, and like here I am, like literally stripping. Like I do pieces about all sorts of like things happening in the world, and like, and people are like, yeah, express yourself, share your point of view, and those same people will be like, but no, don't talk about Israel. Like, what are you doing critiquing Israel? People of color who speak up against Zionism and are attacked like way more significantly. And we've seen this with like so many incredible black activists, black internationalists who've spoken against Zionism recently and white Ashkenazi like Jews who speak up also like Zionists will like go after too. And I think it's because they feel so threatened by like any criticism of and like there, I feel like there's something they're like it's so like yeah like people who you know progressive except for Palestine people they're like doing like acrobatic mind jumps of like why this is the exception and why like no no Israel's different and like why they can't see Palestinians as humans um, really like pains me and uh, it saddens me in this like really deep way that I hope in my art that people that see my art that's like anti-Zionist art that they're able to question some of their like own deep beliefs that it's okay to like take the lives of Palestinians and destroy their homes and take their land and like that that something in their heart is like awakening that like this is not okay and that, that like there is another way and like that they like don't have to keep subscribing to something that maybe they um, bought into or default bought into uh, a long time ago but that there are lots of radical anti-zionist jews out here that we're creating and in solidarity with palestinians and creating worlds that where all people are able to be free and, and thrive. You can check out more of Una's work at unaosado.com. That's U-N-A-O-S-A-T-O.com. 
There will also be more information about upcoming performances by Brass Burlesque in the show notes. Protest and Survive is Reed Dunley's project, but this episode was produced by me, Sophia Steinert-Evoy. Reed will be back with a new episode of high-quality content on August 1st.